Revelation chapter 4. Let's read the Bible together. Revelation chapter 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne are twenty-four Thrones, And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, seven lamps of fire, which are burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes, front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. A third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000.
thousand times, ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. (laughs) So let's talk about this. Chapter 5, last week we talked about chapter 4. Chapter 5, who is, who is worthy to open this scroll? Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5. Uh, M.R. Dehan was a great Bible teacher. He said, if you understand Revelation chapter 5 and verses 1 through 7 well, you will understand the rest of the book. But if you get that wrong, you will never understand the rest of the book. So this is key. This is really critical for us to understand what is this scroll and what is written on this scroll and why is this scroll so important. How many of you this week read this passage of scripture? Raise your hand real quick. You read it? Okay, good. And how many of you put your hands back down? How many of you read it and you wrote some questions down? Anybody? And how many of you, while I was reading, you had questions come into your mind? Anybody there? Of course you did. Of course you did. And yet you really kind of got the, the gist of it, didn't you? I mean, whoever is on the throne and the lamb are worthy and everybody and everything bows down before the throne. It says you're worthy to receive power, glory, and praise, thanksgiving, and honor. This is incredible. Who is worthy, though, to open the scroll? Verses 1 through 4, there is this throne and there is this scroll. And this scroll is, interestingly enough, written inside and on the back. And this scroll is sealed with seven seals. And, the, and then... The question goes out. The strong angel says in a loud voice, this may have been Gabriel, the Bible doesn't say, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? The scroll, kind of like the scrolls in the Old Testament when there was a contract or when there was a contract for redemption. It was sealed with seven seals. But there had to be only certain people were able to open it. Only those who were qualified to open it. And so in heaven, you have the judge of the universe. He's on the throne. He has the scroll in his right hand, this mysterious scroll. And the question then rings through heaven. Now we want to open this scroll and read its contents. Who's worthy? Who's the worthy one that can open the scroll? And they start looking through heaven and they can't find anyone who's worthy to open the scrolls. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll. These, this is written to people who are under persecution and religious oppression by Domitian. He's calling himself the worthy one. But in this vision up in heaven, when they start looking for somebody who's worthy to open this scroll, nobody in heaven and nobody on earth, including that pipsqueak Domitian, and nobody under the earth is worthy to open the scrolls. So I wept much. And that's curious. John says, I started weeping and the word for weeping here is the same word that's used. It's not just a, a little bit of weeping. It's a sobbing. It's weeping. It's the weeping. It's the word that was used when Jesus, in his triumphal entry, looked upon Jerusalem and burst into tears. This is the same word that's used when Peter denied the Lord, and then he was rebuked, and he burst into tears. John is 
This is, he's weeping. If you want to understand this passage, I would suggest to you that one of the key questions you should be asking yourself is this. Why is John weeping like this? Because no one is found to open the scrolls. And you probably are thinking this morning, and why is that important to me? You're going to find out how important that is to you. That's important to every single one of us. We'll see why in just a few minutes. But John understood it. There was something that was happening that if this scroll was not open, it would be the greatest tragedy in all of the world. And to understand why John would be weeping, we would have to understand what is written on the scrolls. What is on this scroll? That's what we would have to ask. Why did John weep? What was written on the scroll? Many scholars of the Bible believe that the scroll that's talked about in Revelation 5 here is the same scroll that's referred to in Daniel chapter 12. And the Bible says there in Daniel chapter 12, there's a pre-incarnate vision of Christ in white linen, a man in white linen who gives a scroll. And he says, and this scroll is sealed up until the time of the end. Well, now we get to a time when this scroll is time for it to be open. And what's written in the scroll is about to happen, is what's going to happen. Some believe also in Ezekiel 2 and verse 9. In this prophetic passage, there's also a reference to a scroll written on both sides. And this scroll specifically says it's written on both sides. And it has seven seals. And this would indicate that it's like a, it's, it's a, um, a legal document for the purposes of redemption. When you get to buy your property back, through the legal process of redemption, there are these two documents, and later they were combined into one scroll, front and back. This was a legal document of some kind that had within it, and you study the book of Revelation, you see that when the scroll is unrolled, things happen on the earth. And the things that happen on the earth are scary. They're, they're judgments that pour out on the earth, but they culminate in something that's wonderful, the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. And this all happens when the scroll is unrolled. And so you have this scroll, and it's probably the scroll of antiquity, sealed up to the end, and now is coming the time when God's scroll of redemption is going to get unrolled, and God is going to keep all of his promises. And Jesus is going to be the one, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Jesus is going to be the one that has the authority, and he's worthy in order to open that scroll, and in order to bring to pass all the things that God promised would happen in the end of time, including the judgment of unbelievers and the enemy of God and the reward of believers and the inauguration of his kingdom and this beautiful little word that storytellers love, the denouement of all things. So when you have a great story, you have uh, characters, right? People you care about. There's the guys in the white hats and the guys in the black hats. There's usually a little romance in there in a good story, wouldn't you say? And then there's tension. Something bad happens to the good guy. And now he's going to try to get himself out of the trouble. And then finally, when he gets into a series of troubles and he gets himself out of the trouble and the story's coming to a wonderful conclusion, the storyteller says there's a season, there's a part there in the storyteller that they call the denouement. And it's that part when everything wraps up and the cowboy rides off into the sunset with a lovely young maiden. 
and everybody feels happy. We're reaching the denouement of the story of redemption now. We're coming to the point where the one who's worthy of all the praise of the universe is about to unfold his plan and reign in benevolent goodness over all of the earth and judge those who hate him. And they're saying in heaven, now who can do this? Who is worthy to do this? And no one in heaven is worthy to do it. And there were some great people in heaven and no one on earth was able or worthy to do it. And there were some powerful people on earth and no one under the earth was able or worthy or willing or qualified to open the scroll? That's the question. And John imagines what would it be like if God's purposes could not be unfolded on the earth? Would that not be the saddest thing that ever happened? And so he enters into that story and he begins to weep. And one of the elders there in verse 5 says, don't weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has prevailed to open a scroll and elucid seven seals. Well, that's enigmatic. That's mysterious. What does this mean? Who is this lion? And what does it mean here that it says he's the root of David? The lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the root of David, is obviously Old Testament language. And a study back through the Old Testament and see that these are very specific references to someone who would have ultimate rule, a descendant of David. Very interesting. I like the way George Ladd puts it when he describes what this scroll is. George Ladd says, The scroll contains the prophecy of an event, including both the salvation of God's people and the judgment of the wicked. It is God's redemptive plan for the denouement of human history, the overthrow of evil, the gathering of redeemed people to enjoy the blessings of God's rule. You want that scroll to be unrolled. But no one can unroll that scroll. No one has the power of the unfolding of the events of the end time, but the worthy one who has earned it in a way that we're going to describe in a moment. James, Dr. James Greer is with the Lord now. He's seen what we're talking about. But he used to be here. He used to be the pastor here. And if that's not intimidating, you know, he used to be the pastor here. And he went on to an illustrious ministry at Cedarville College in, in academics and also in pastoral work. And then he became the dean of the seminary in Grand Rapids. And he often spoke in Spurgeon's Tabernacle. And he, he came to this church on our 75th anniversary. And he preached this passage better than you're going to hear it today. And you should listen to that message. It will thrill you. But here's what he said. Uh, in, in his reference on this passage, what is that scroll? Here's how he said it. I believe the scroll is the program of God in judgment and grace. It is the title deed to the earth from the ascension to the new heaven and the new earth. God's program. You see it work out in judgment and in grace. As the seals are broken and the scroll is open, God's intent for the consummation of history through Christ. Christ is invested with the scroll, and this investiture gives Jesus a very significant place because he created and because he was slain. If only we could see what is happening in heaven, we would be so encouraged. Isn't that a good word from our former pastor who now is with the Lord, and he has seen these things begin to unfold. So you understand now why John wept. What if no one could bring the benevolent promises of God that you're counting on to pass? What if people who die just die? What if sins would never be atoned for, redeemed, forgiven? What if you still had all your sins on you and you always were going to have them on you? 
What if all the promises that you have built your life on were not true? And none of the things that God said were going to happen. Did you ever watch at Christmas time, It's a Wonderful Life? Of course you have. Good Americans that you are. And it was all about George Bailey, and he's better dead than alive. Remember that? He goes, it's better if I'm dead than alive. And then an angel comes. This is not theologically very sound, but it's great entertainment. Angel Clarence comes, and he shows him what it would have been like if he had never lived. Don't you just love that movie? What would it have been like if this simple man, George Bailey, had never been born? And as the movie goes on, you just see how sad it is. Mary's a librarian. I'm just telling you, Mary wouldn't have been a librarian, huh? You know, you know, Mary would have remarried somebody else. But in the movie, she's a librarian with thick glasses. And the, and the, the town is named something different. And, and people that he helped in his life were, were not helped. And if, if it didn't end in a different way, if he didn't come back to himself, and if he didn't say, I want to live again, remember that? Zuzu's Petals, I want to live again, remember that? That didn't happen. That'd be the saddest movie you ever saw at Christmas time. If Jesus doesn't do what Jesus promised he would do, then you are never going to escape the heartache and the, and the sadness and the lack of peace and the violence and the hatred and the guilt and the shame and the sin that have cursed this world. We're, we have to either put up with that forever or die and go out into a dark blackness but there is this scroll, and then the unwinding of the scroll will be the events of the future in which God comes in his son Jesus to reign, and there is a, a person that's worthy. Notice in verse 6, it's uh, in the midst of a throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. And so here's what happens. So, so in verse 5, John is crying. This is the, the, the narrative. John is weeping because they've looked everywhere and they can't find anyone worthy to open the scrolls. And so he's weeping. And the elder steps out and says, don't weep. He says, because behold, he says, look, look. He says, look, look, look. This is the way the story goes. Look, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scrolls and elucid seven seals. So you would expect that he's going to see somebody very powerful, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the root, it's like a, in, in, the, in, the, in this particular case is the reference, the root of David, of the, the tribe of, of um, the tribe of Judah, the root of David. These are references to the book of Genesis and to the, uh, and to the book of Isaiah. And they're both references to the power of the Messiah. So he says, look. If, and so he expects that when he turns around, he's going to look and see what is the lion of the tribe of Judah from the root of David look like? He's going to look around and what's he going to see? He's going to see a lion, right? He's going to see a powerful lion. So he looks and what does he see? He's shocked because he says, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Does that sound kind of weird? If you never read any of the Bible, that would seem kind of weird to you, wouldn't it? A lot of this would seem kind of weird. If you never read any of the Bible, let's be honest, it would seem really weird. There's a lion. Look, there's a lion. Oh, it's a lamb. And the, and the word for lamb there is little, little lamb, little pet lamb, little baby lamb. Well, if you know the Bible, you know you're going, hey, that reminds me of something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. I, I, I'm thinking about something. What, what does that remind me of? Well, you know the Bible, it talks about lambs all the time. And a lamb is there standing it's not, and it's, and the lamb that's standing 
it's as though it had been slain, slain lamb standing. Get it? The lamb that was slain is standing in the presence of God. You and I know, even with just a Sunday school apprehension, knowledge of the Bible, this is a reference to Jesus Christ, the lamb, right, who was slain and who rose again and who now stands in the presence of God. And it has seven horns. This is speaking of his power. Seven eyes, which is obviously that's representative of the seven spirits of God. Seven meaning the number of completion or totality or power. He's all seeing, all discerning, full of the Holy Spirit, sent out to the earth. Verse seven says, then he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And that is a really big deal. Who's on the throne? God. What's in his right hand? The title deed to the earth, the, re- the unfolding of the redemptive program of God. It's a sign of authority. He's on the throne with a scroll in his right hand. And the lamb prevails and he walks up and he receives. He takes the, the scroll from the right hand of God and all of heaven explodes at this point. This is a very big deal. This is very, very big news Now when he had taken the scroll, what happens? It's a big deal. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down and worship before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of it. What's happening in heaven? Do you you get it? There are five hymns here in chapters 4 and 5. Three of them in chapter 5. And three of those things happen after the Lamb takes the scroll from the one who's on the throne. And he says, this is about to happen. Okay, here, in other words, practically speaking, here's what this means. God, the one who's on the throne, is in control of everything past, present, and future, including your personal life. God is in control. And he's invested in his son, Jesus, because he paid the redemption price. He's, he said, you're going to be the one who's going to unfold all of this. He's, he ha, Jesus has that authority because, of his, because he's worthy because he paid the redemption price when he died, when they tortured Christ, and he died on the cross, and he was buried, and by the power of God rose again, then he is the only one who's worthy to unfold the future. That's what this is saying. And so what happens immediately then is three hymns of praise. It's almost like the wave in heaven. There's a circles and it goes out in concentric circles. When you read this, you can see that there are the they're living creatures and the 24 elders are go bang. They immediately know what's up. They are they're the I believe the elders are redeemed saints. They hit the, their knees when they go, wow, did you see that? There's the one who's worthy to open the scrolls, the lamb who was slain, who's now standing. And immediately when he takes the scroll, they go, boom, they hit their kneels in worship and they sing a hymn of praise. This is a very big deal, right? And what is it that they say? They sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain and you've redeemed us to God by your blood. That's pretty critical right there. And then, they, and then they say, out of their, in their song, they say, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then other waves of praise come from more living beings in, all, in more places. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But right now, let's just think about this. Recently, our president 
has a, a desire. You know this. He has a great desire to get Congress to pass tighter gun control laws. You know that, right? I'm not commenting on that one way or the other. I'm just saying, right? You know that. That's just the facts of history. If you pay attention, whenever a shooting happens, the president comes on TV and he will often say, my thoughts and prayers are with the deceased and their families and we need to pass tighter gun control laws, right? We know that's what he's saying, all right? I'm not making a political commentary here. I'm just pointing something out. So recently he changed what he said a little bit and he says, we got to do more than pray about this. We got, remember that? We got to do more than pray about this. And, And we often say the same thing. So that's not altogether wrong to say prayers are not enough. Sometimes action is required. I I don't disagree with that, of course. That's not necessarily a statement of blasphemy. But the secular press and others that hate God have picked up on this. And now it's become when there's a shooting, people say, prayer doesn't really matter. God isn't really doing anything. We're going to have to take this upon ourselves. Congress is going to have to do something. America is going to have to do something. That's what we're saying now. And I noticed that this week, the Washington Daily News had a cover and in the boldest letters, what did it say? It said, God isn't fixing this. That's what they're saying. God isn't fixing this. Now, living in this atmosphere that we live in, then it would be easy for us to just be overwhelmed when we think, who are we anyway? A bunch of little old ladies sitting in a musty church hall praying and wasting our lives. Who are we anyway? We're just weak people that are unwilling to do things. And all we do is sing hymns and pray. Well, let's just take a look at what's happening with prayers when it gets up into heaven. And look at verse 8. It says, The elders fall down and having before the Lamb, each having a harp, and, and they have golden bowls full of incense. Which are the prayers of the saints. <laughs> I'll see you in prayer meeting. Amen. And everywhere you pray in the small groups and when you go on your way to work, God's people, don't ever let anybody discourage you from praying because your prayers go up before God in heaven and the elders are going to take them and pour them out and the angels are going to take them and they're going to fuel the promises of God. So we are praying people. We are unapologetically praying people. And we don't expect people who don't know the Lord to understand that. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and this lamb is worthy in your life, then you are a praying person. And there's something more that's interesting. So the elders and the living creatures, they fall down and they sing this song, this very clear song of redemption, but they go around the earth in their song and they start to tell who all is a part of that. Who is a part of the redeemed ones? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain when you've redeemed us to God by your blood. Who? People out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations you have taken and made them kings and priests to God, and we will reign on the earth. That's incredible. It's not just your kind of people, people that are colored like you, or people that talk like you, or people that know your language. This isn't a localized religion. This isn't some little localized cult of people that have similar prejudices. This is worldwide. This is universal. This is eternal. This is God who made everyone, everywhere, everything. He gets praise in the first two hymns because he made everything. And he's setting us up with that. I made everything. And because of sin, I lost everything. And because of Calvary, I redeemed everything. And I am worthy of the praise of every single living thing. 
And there are people who are redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So if you say bad things about people who are colored different than you, you do not have the heart of Jesus Christ. No way in the world. No way in the world. Say amen to that, friends. No way in the world. The heart of Jesus is that he made people of every tongue, people in every tribe, people in every people group, and people in every nation are going to be around the throne worshiping with you if you are there. And so the person, you know, that says, I send money to Africa to missions, but I don't like it if a black man moves in next door, doesn't have the heart of Jesus at all. Not, a, not at all. Amen? Amen. And so there, there are four reasons that the lamb is worthy. That are given in, in chapter 4, he's worthy because he created all things, 4.11. Chapter 5, verse 9, he's worthy because he was slain. And then he, he purchased people, redemption, and because he made us a kingdom. And not a kingdom of just common people, but a kingdom of kings and a kingdom of of priest. That means that we'll rule and have relationship with God unhindered by anything. And it means a whole lot more than that, but I only have till about two o'clock, so I've got to move on. What we have in Revelation 5 is a vision of Christ in the expanding concentric circles of his worship in heaven. So in verses 8 through 10, you have those that are immediately around the throne. In verses, And we just read that in their song. And then in verses 11 and 12, you have those that are throughout heaven. Let's read that. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's beautiful, isn't it? Here, here you have, and what are they saying? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. And then, in verses 13 and 14, the circle gets even wider of praise and worship. It's the third song that's sung after the lamb gets the scroll. And this includes the entire universe of living and inanimate beings. Every creature which is in heaven, verse 13, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living, then it got quiet and the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders got from their knees to their face, right? Fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. You get that? If you get that, that changes everything about your life. Everything. If Jesus Christ is the ultimate and eternal king of everything, everywhere, and all people everywhere, then it might be a really good idea for you to get on your face right away and acknowledge that he... And what good would come flowing into your life if you get on God's redemptive program ahead of time? How wonderful is that? I, I had this recurring bad dream. I had one this morning. I had a bad dream that my alarm was going off and that I couldn't turn it off. Did you notice this, Lois? My alarm was, in my dream, my alarm was going off and I couldn't turn it off. You know why I was having that dream? Because my alarm was going off. I was so tired. I finally woke up and I thought, oh, I'm having a dream I can't turn my alarm off. I need to turn off my alarm. But I have another dream. I have a dream that I go to heaven and the people from Evangel are all there, but they don't know how to praise God. 
they're kind of like quiet and they, they never lift up their hands. They don't get too excited. You know, they're more excited about if their team wins the Big Ten championship. You know, there I go. Or there I am. I said it, didn't I? They're more excited about that. They're more excited about that. Congratulations if your team won the Big Ten championship. They're more excited about, you know, a new pair of shoes. And I'm in heaven and the Lord is saying, are these your people? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, did you tell them what we were going to be doing here? Did you ever tell them that we were going to be praising on our face and praising on our knees? And we're going to be making loud noises and there are going to be thousands? Did you warm them up at all? Because, man, they just don't, they don't look like they were warmed up at all. They don't, I don't think you properly, it was just a dream I have every once in a while. It's not true. It's not true. We have a worship pastor here. We are not fooling. This is really it. I'm serious. This will change your life. Who you worship will determine who you are. Who you worship will change your whole life. You worship the lamb that's, that's there by the throne, that's earned the right to open the scrolls and unfold the future, including his kingdom, which will include you, and his ultimate kingdom, which will include all of the earth. You worship him, and your life is going to line up the way it ought. And this is what happened. When Jesus was born, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this, When he brought forth his firstborn son into the world, he said, Let all the angels worship him. That's probably what happened there in, uh, in the Judean hillside with the, with the shepherds. Do you remember reading that? In chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, And then a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Now it makes more sense, doesn't it? A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. That's what happened. When Jesus was born, they had the sense to know. A few years ago, Chuck brought something home that he found in the road, I think. Plastic little Mary. A little hollow plastic Mary. Huh? Found it right over here on the corner. Somebody dropped Mary off at our church (laughs) from somebody's nativity set. And Chuck rescued Mary and brought her home to our house. And put her in the basement there. And Chuck carries a lot of things home and puts them in the basement. But we're not going there today. Every time I would go down in the basement, there would be Chuck's candle making stuff. And Chuck's guitars and books and so forth. And the ashes of the red heifer and Mary. Little plastic hollow Mary. (laughs) One day when he was gone, I had a word of prayer. And Mary left our house. No one will ever know what happened to her. I got a feeling that a lot of people, they have Christmas, but it's just kind of plastic and it's kind of hollow. It's kind of like little Jesus, let's keep him in the corner over there in case we need him. We'll pat his head. Hope he brings us a happy time. Hey, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Did you read this book? He's the lamb who redeemed, who earned the right to open a scroll, to unfold the future, to make us kings and priests. You and I, kings and priests, God is in complete control of the future. Jesus will carry out God's final purposes on earth. Jesus is worthy of everlasting, unending, universal praise. And what happens then when you make him the king? Can I give you a little example? Bill Musham and I were talking, and I got his permission to tell you this. We were talking this week, and he was talking, he's, you know, Bill is retired, and he and his wife are retired, and he's our, our church treasurer, and they serve here in our church a lot, you know that. And, and we were just talking about when he was a school teacher, and he was a school teacher, then he became a school administrator. But he said when he was teaching, he said he would go to school before school started, and he would get with a couple of other uh, church, uh, school staff members, I believe maybe a custodian and another teacher, and they would pray. They would get together, 
because Jesus wasn't just a little plastic hollow thing to him. And they would get together every morning and they would pray. And then he told me this. He said, sometimes they would go into the classroom where a troubled student would sit. And they heard about doing this on the radio, but they would go into a classroom where a troubled student would sit before class early in the morning and they would gather around that troubled student's desk and they would pray. Bill said later he had a student, a girl, that got pregnant out of wedlock and then dropped out of school. And he lost track of the girl and he never met her again until he was doing an adult education program and when he was doing this adult education program, this young lady walked back up to him and said, you remember me? He said, yes, I do. And she said, well, I wanted you to know because of something you said, I was contemplating an, an abortion, but because of something you said, I want you to meet my daughter. That's what it looks like every once in a while when t- people take this lamb seriously. So it's Christmas time. And most people just, they don't get it at all. But we do this week. We went to the Evans Cemetery in Campton, Kentucky again. We go back there a lot. It's the most beautiful cemetery you ever saw. It's up on a hill outside the little village where Lois was born. And her people are there. Her dad is buried there under a cedar tree. Her grandmothers are buried there. Her mother is alive, but she has a plot there. Her uncle Paul is buried there. And whenever somebody in the family dies, we, we go there and we gather around and we pray. And that happened last week. Her great aunt Reva, just kind of a fixture in the civic leader in town. She died and Lois went down and I came down later. When I got there, they told me I was a part of the funeral, that I would be taking the hard part, the eulogy. They waited till I got there to tell me that. So I was really privileged to be included in the family, like an in-law, outlaw type, you know, to get, to get included in the family. And I, I did my part. And then we drove out there to the Evans Cemetery and up on the hill road, slow like you do, and thoughtful, and then wound our way up on the hill. And you know how it works. There's a little tent that's set up there, and everybody's gathered around. The casket is brought out by the pallbearers. And then her pastor was kind of formal. And he did what some pastors do, which is, is beautiful and informal, And that is that after he did the committal service, he led people in praying a Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're standing on a hillside, and it's now it's on Wednesday afternoon. What we don't know is that across the country, there's a a horrible, violent series of murders going on. And once again, our nation is going to be torn by violence and hatred. But we're standing like thousands of Christians do and have for hundreds of years. And we're saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you see, that's what people who take the lamb seriously say. And, that, and they know that one day that's what's going to happen. 